In this episode, I interviewed Nilesh Murthy, who is an athletic performance physio at the GWS Giants Football Club. On this episode, we initially started talking about screening and the purpose of screening what they do at the, at the Giants and kind of the importance of being able to use what you're screening. So choosing, choosing certain tests that you use for screening. So we went over what tests to use at the Giants. We then moved into talking about the pressure of getting athletes back quick, quickly within sport. And Nalash talked about different things they look at and different things they consider when putting an athlete back, um, coming back from an injury. And then we kind of moved into more of the protocols or criteria that they use and how they form that criteria at the Giants. And Les went over the different stages that they use and gave some examples of how they go through kind of that criteria of returning an athlete to performance. And then we finally finished off touching on the, the integration of the athletic performance and sports medicine teams with your S&C, physio, and so on at the Judeo's Giants and how they have a good relationship and how they utilize that best to give the athlete the best possible uh, outcomes. So great episode. Here it is. Welcome to No Week Links with Patrick Wood. The purpose of this podcast is to help you learn up-to-date evidence-based content and knowledge through life experiences. This podcast is perfect for athletes, strength and conditioning coaches, rehab professionals, or anyone in the sports performance or sports medicine industry. So please have a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to No Week Links. I'm your host, Patrick Wood, and today I have Nilesh Mertian, who is an athletic performance physio uh, at the GWS Giants AFL Club. So I really appreciate you being on, Nilesh. Uh, first off, if you just want to kind of give us a brief overview on your background, introduce yourself, current position, past positions, past education, and so on. Uh, Patrick, thanks for having me, mate. I'm honored to be on, and thanks for reaching out. I'm glad to help out, and hopefully, you know, from this, we can create a bit of an open forum for everyone and get something going on. So... Uh, mate, in terms of uh, my background, so obviously I've been at the Giants, um, I've um, been there for the long run, I've been there for nine years now, um, so um, I, my background is I studied sports science, um, that blended into an honours project within the Giants, that's where I got my foot into the door, um, and then when I did my Masters in sports, I'm in, in physio, and currently in the last couple of months um, of my Masters in sports physio with Latrobe. Um, that's a bit of the education side of things. In terms of experience, mate, so um, grateful and very lucky got into sport early on. So I've been in the Giants from the get-go. Uh, within that time, I've been exposed to, obviously, um, working within different different sports, um, casual gigs or helping out when being approached. So netball, a um, bit of football. Um, we did a year and a bit of Athletes Authority, so a big shout-out to those guys there. Um, so yeah, mate. Um, been in the Giants for a bit, where you've um, seen ups and downs, and worked with different different performance managers and um, two different coaches and different different head physios. So my experience has been a bit different. Where um, it's not I've been at different sports for a year and changed up to go to another sport. I've been at the one spot which um, you know can come across as a con for some, but it's a big pride because you see how things evolve and you actually see um, your practices um, develop from. You know, something that you think's the bees and knees of everything, and then nineties later, you realise, going, geez, you know, um, this is what we should have been doing six, seven, eight, nine years ago. So, um, yeah, mate, and that's now to twenty twenty. So, um, this year, finishing off my masters in sports physio and um, consuming another year of the Giants. Yeah, perfect. So, uh, yeah, like I said, some good points there, and then we'll kind of get into a, um, a 
plethora of topics coming up here. But first off, I guess we can just start off with the first thing that happens um, kind of when athletes come in, uh, whether that be preseason or a new athlete, talking about kind of screening at the beginning of the season. So I guess, do you want to just start off there giving a brief overview of of what you guys do with the Giants with screening? Uh, And then we can kind of get into some more questions on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll try to break it down in... um new players that come through and returning players. So, like, with the new players, mate, um, I'll, I'll compare to what we used to do to what we do now, but um, with the new players, it's a physio screen, you know, sit-down conversation initially, um, and as a physio yourself, or, um, you know, we go through current history, past history, um, relevant history, and we also look at, you know, um, what the training loads have been for the past four weeks, six weeks, and eight weeks. So that kind of determines us where they're at in their sweet spot. Are they, you know, in the orange, red or green traffic light system. Um, in terms of a new player, yes, we'll do a full body screen and we'll go through all the screening scopes and how they're moving and so forth. Um, but I think more importantly, we, we kind of dial down on their past or relevant history, mate. So we, we, example, you know, we've had a player come through and he goes, yep, last season, end of the year, this in days, I'm rehabbed it, I'm all good to go. Um, that's where our screening kind of dials in and we'll probably have a look at how they're, um, you know, simple screens of what a calf capacity looks like and what's the knee to wall at and what's the ankle look like in terms of the clinical testing. So that's where the screening scope's in. Another bit of example on that would be, you know, we've had a guy um, come through a club. He's had a history of a shoulder injury, so we'll, we'll um, dial down our screening. Yes, we'll do ankle, knees and all the subjective and objective assessments we need to. But um, when they highlight a relevant history or a past history of an injury, we would dial down on that. So example with a shoulder, um, <clears throat> we'll, we'll do some you know, auth- um, standard objective testing. Um, then we'll also bring some special tests in and look how they are on the force plate, um, dyno and so forth. And um, This doesn't turn into a um, weekly screening. It turns into a marker, gives us an you know, understanding of where the athlete's capacity is currently at and that kind of dictates um, you know, your resilience program to give them to make sure that up to scratch come contact time. So that's what like our new player look like and Obviously, um, we will do other stuff, which we'll dial into a bit later, but we will look at your, your groin bar squares and so forth because we just do that with the whole squad, which we'll get into later. But um, we, with the returning players, a bit different. Um, so most normally with new players, you just do everything to get a, get a grasp of where they're at. With our new players, we know them. We, like, like I said, I've been there for 90s. You know your players. So when they get back, it's, it's, it starts with a conversation and most of the conversation goes, how was the break? Um, and they give you a good story. You laugh about it. And then they go, oh, actually, um, I haven't been kicking because my quads have been sore and so forth. Um, so you, you kind of hope they communicate that prior to that. But um, you get a conversation from there. That kind of narrows down your screening and assessment initially. So, example, they're like, oh, hey, I've had some AMI issues. You assess that and so forth. But normally it's just a, it's a chat. Any issues? Are you good to train? How's your contact been? How's your running been? Um, and there we talk on through. From there, most of the boys, you know, we also look at, hey, the back, last year, the back end of the year, you know, you rolled your ankle. Um, where's it at? Um, yeah, and then it's when our screening dials in. I think um, physios, or in terms of screening, it's it's, it's um, progressed a long way. Um, I think eight, nine years ago, um, and I don't think any physio can say they didn't do this, but, you know, you'd walk in and it'd be a little station section. Everyone does a knee to wall. Everyone does a sit and reach. Everyone does a star balance. Everyone does a zero, zero, 60 and 90 squeeze and, you know, go through. Um, I think that's evolved a bit now. We, we, we don't do that as much because... 
ultimately, if you're collecting that data day to day, you know, it's it's made us think: is are we actually changing our practical? Are we actually changing our um, ways with that data? And I think over time, if you Yes, don't get me wrong. If you've got an um, athlete who's had an ankle injury, we, we, we educate them, hey, this is your screening. When you roll in in the morning, yes, you do your data monitoring, but go do your needle. If your needle's at eight normally and it's a four or, or a three, you know, this is what you need to go do yourself. If you can't get it up to eight, you come see us. So I think that's where our screening dialed in a bit, but we've moved away from everyone go do a needle. Everyone go do this um, because ultimately I think not, not a lot of decisions sometimes is made of those kind of data. Like you don't see a player not training because um, their needle all is down to two centimetres or their centre reach down three centimetres and, you know, it could be multi- multiple things that could be affecting that. So um, that's what our quick grasp of screening looks like at the Giants. So new players, we go through a detailed returning players, we'll tick through that. And then last week was our first week, um, we, we just go through and this will be spoken on a bit later as well we we, um do a zero degrees squeeze we do a 60 degrees squeeze in the groin bar and then we do a um a counter movement jump on the force plate so we'll dial on that later but there you have three big screening things we normally do when you come out of the physio room with after a little chat with the physios and doc yeah so uh, I guess kind of in summary there, this general screen, you'll identify s- certain aspects that you then will delve further into. So you're not just kind of doing a bunch of tests on everyone that no, you maybe no, don't need to definitely do. Definitely not, no. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think, yeah, just to add on to that. So like, yeah, don't say that we don't screen. It's like we'll, we'll personalize the screening. So an example, a player's had a PS overload um, injury. We know, you know, he needs to screen and make sure he squeezes X amount, X amount needs to be up there. So he'll himself he'll self-direct that, going, hey, you know, my squeeze is supposed to be 300. It's actually 220 today, and I've done my ductor work. So that's how screen, screening gets dialed in, yes. Yep, and then the other point you made was the fact that you want to make sure what you're screening you're actually using. So then that's another point of why you kind of screen uh, more consistently so you can u- make sure you use it. And But again, you're not going to do something that's not really going to affect either performance or what they're doing training-wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I think the needle wall is the classic um, to every level. I think now not a lot of people are obviously diving into it, but there's to be like, oh, everyone do the needle wall, everyone do the center reach, and um, then you, you, you're rushing to strap players and get them ready, and then they're out training, and they're like, oh, wait, his needle wall's down by three. Is he going to break down? Probably not, but... You know, so I think um, that application has definitely changed and it's transitioning away from it. Um, so, yeah. So I guess kind of we, you went through a, a good summary of what you guys do, the Giants. But I guess what would you say if you were to define the purpose of your screens are for the goals and the reasons why you do it in general for the, the overall screening process? What would you say that would be? Uh, I think obviously as a physio, you get educated, you know, screenings to identify injury. Um and to be safe, to make sure player doesn't get injured. But I think as an overall sum being in sport, you, I think a screening shows you how your athlete's coping with the load and the dem- de- demands that are pressed upon them. So um, from there, um, that's what I think the ultimate reason for screening is. And um, you, you see that when you know guys ro- roll in and um, their squeezes at zero degrees, example, um, uh, 350, 400, and then a week later they're at 320. They're like, oh, no, they're down by 20%. 
blah, blah, said, you know, there are risks. No, no, well, again, you know that there's a neuromuscular component in terms of fatigue and so forth and the pre-season loads kicking in. So I think it is a, it's a way to identify how everyone is coping with what's being prescribed and dosaged in. So I guess we can kind of move on into, since you mentioned some of those the tech in different types of tests you use, maybe we can kind of move into that. So if you do you want to kind of explain uh, and go into a little bit further the different forms of tech you use for that and then yeah. your opinion on those? Yeah, so the, in terms of just staying with screening, so we, we, use, the zero, we, we use the most expensive um, equipment comes to the physio world, the SFIGs. <laughs> It's about $26. We, we use that to do our zero degrees groin squeeze. Um, we use the groin bar. Um, so we've got three stations. Um, the guys roll in. First bed is the zero degree squeeze, groin squeeze. Then they go into the groin bar. Um, and then they go into this um, force plate where um, that's more of a sort of sports science-led um, division where um, they're doing the counter-movement jump and, again, assessing neuromuscular fatigue and adaption to training load. So um, in terms of, obviously, I'll dial in more into the groin bar and the SFIG, you know, that gives us a good highlight of how guys are going, coping and where they're at. Um, and again, like I said, numbers change week to week and in season they definitely drop a lot more. But um, I think they're good tests to give us a highlight of how they're going in terms of that lumbar pelvic um, region or ductor bias, lumbar pelvic region. So, yeah, um, we do use that. Um Obviously, I our guess. performance manager um, uses that data. He, he's done some research to look at, um, you know, neuromuscular fatigue and groin bar at 0 degrees and 60 degrees. So that's kind of used um, religiously at the Giants. If guys do drop off, yes, um, we assess it before training and um, we, one, put in a protocol of, you know, if they've dropped off by X amount, are they able to go address this? Um, and if they're not, physio intervention comes in and... Um, just because all this is done doesn't mean they're good to go and train. You know, we make sure their training loads are um, adjusted if needed, or they're out of you know hard change of direction, or they're you know in controlled drills where we can monitor them. So that that's where those systems are used, and how those systems are also um, complemented with what we do. So, what would you say the why do you use the cuff versus the the groin bar? What are the differences? So the angle they squeeze at, um, and then what does that mean why do you use both of them um so i think to be very honest i think the setup came purely as a logistics cost um if you ever do screening with a team of any sort you, your buy-in will always be zero because if they're footy players they're there to play footy i mean if they're rugby players they're there to play rugby so if you set up 300 different gadgets and they all take hour two hours to screen the buy-in's going to be zero they're not going to put the effort they need to put in. They're not going to follow the protocol there is. They're just going to get in and do it just to tick a box. So um, what I'm trying to get there is um, in terms of logistics, having two groin bars is probably not realistic. Um, so we, And having a one groin bar and doing a zero, then turning it off and then or sliding it back up to set the 60, 60 degrees just for one person, it's going to be a bottleneck and um, that's not practical. And that's where you need to be in, um, in sport. So we've got the zero degrees there purely... Um, because it's easy, we can get it done quickly. It takes five seconds to a player, then they go to the next station, takes another five seconds. So there's two players done in 10 seconds. So it's over a squad of 44, it's done pretty quickly. Um, and again, it's um, reliable data if we're doing the same system and protocol all the time. So yeah, that's why I've got it set up that way. Um, I'm sure if we had two groin bars, um, it would have been 
set up as one scoring buzz just for the 60 and one's just for the zero, but um, we're not that fortunate. So, yeah. Okay. And then kind of building off of the, the tech, what you guys use and monitor, I guess. So you, you kind of went over what you monitored for the pre-screening. What do you use consistently throughout the season to, to kind of monitor those players? Yes, sorry, so I should have probably explained that a bit clearer. So the, the, the screening we use to monitor is the zero degrees, 60-degree groin bar, and the counter-movement jump on the force plates. They're done um, pre-season twice a week. They're done on the big days. So, example, uh, big days are Monday, Friday. They'll be done Monday, Friday. Um, one, to collect, make sure we have a good data collection point, and two, they're done on the big days because they're the days you need to make big, big decisions because they're the days, you know, game style and high force and tackle and all those kind of tra- training rules will be enforced. Um, in season, it's done once a week um, unless you're a player. So, example, if we play on a Saturday and the main session next week will be on a Wednesday, um, guys will be screened on Tuesday. Um, if you, you know, your data's norm um, within the what you normally get, you know, you don't screen again. If your data drops off, um, and again, we have certain protocols we use um, to that from that quota, um, we re-screen you on a Wednesday. And, um, it's just not a re-screen. It's, it's, we also go, okay, why has he dropped off? Is it because A, B, C, D, or is there something going on? And that's where we step in. But um, a normal monitoring thing for us is, um, yeah, the zero degrees, the groin bar, the CMJ for counter movement jump. So that we do that religiously week in, week out um, through the season, once a week, pre-season, twice a week. Okay, and then so if a player was to kind of I guess drop off and not meet the qualifications, what what do you do specifically to try to get them back to their normal? Um, do you have any general protocols? Is it just try to decrease load, or is there specific things you try to do depending on yeah, the season? Yeah, so obviously we don't jump at it straight away. What we do is we um, so example a guy comes in, hey my zero degrees or my screening's down and I've got some pain here and I feel stiff here, whatever the symptom may be. Um, We have um, resilience cards or exercise cards, you can call it, and um, the player will go do a, you know, a mobility circuit into an activation circuit into a strength circuit. When I say strength, you know, some ductor holes or some, um, you know, abdominal stuff and so forth. So it'll be a bunch of exercises and then they go retest. And most of the time, they're like, oh, yeah, that felt better. My hip was just tight you know, really stiff and blah, blah, blah. So actually the mobility felt better. My left side was really tight and that kind of, you know, the light bulb moment goes in and then, you know, boys are like, okay, cool. I might have to actually do this before I screen, um, you know. Um, so most of the boys actually do come in and there's a large component of it that do go into the cage and they um, do their mobility into their movement prep stuff, into the activation and then screen. Um, but yes, that's normally the method we use. Um, yes, if the player's going, hey, no, nah, my squeezes haven't changed. Um, I'm actually really sore my doctor still. Um, we'll, as a physio, physio slash doctor, will step in, we'll assess it. Um, say, you know, we haven't found anything. Um, that doesn't mean we haven't found anything. We just throw them out there. We'll put them in some control drills. Um, if it's, you know, doctor related, we'll, we'll make sure we put them in some control straight line drills and not some high end chaos drills, you know, where they can, they are susceptible to injury. So um, that's the process. Um, most of the time, you know, we go, okay, sweet, go through warm-up, and then after the warm-up's finished, check in with them, how's it going? Because, yep, it's actually pretty good, warmed up, ready to roll. Or most of the time, you know, I can feel it's actually getting worse, and that's when we step in um, and with, you know, performance staff, and we step in and we uh, medically rule a player out, and that's it, yeah. 
right, yeah. And then, so what what made you exactly choose the the test that you guys have with the groin bar, the groin bar, the kind of movement jump, um, and so on? So what made you choose those tests to kind of best monitor the players and, and use that initially and throughout the season? Um, I think those tests, um, banks, um, AFL being a, um, you know, 360 high and high reactive sport. I think um, our um, injury data shows groins and PS overload and ductor injuries are up there. And I think that kind of also gives us a good um, measure on overall lumbar pelvic um, response to load. Um, they're your big little go-tos. Um, yes, you know, I'm sure some people are listening going, oh, no, 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 hamstrings also up there as well. Um, we're going to be doing a Nord test pre-training, are we, to see where guys are at because then we won't have any players left to train. Um, but I think this gives us a good measure of um, just how our athletes are coping. Um, our screening has evolved a long way. Like I said, there's a point where, you know, I remember we used to do needle walls and sit and reach and so forth. Um, like I said, we, we never, I don't think we made a big, big decision out of, oh, this guy's needle walls down by two centimetres, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, where I think, you know, we, we've found more. Um, in athletes that aren't coping or have an underlying injury or is prone to something with, you know, current tests we're currently doing. Um, Don't get me wrong, yeah. So, yeah, that's probably how we've dialed down onto it. Um, And, again, the counter-movement jumps also led through more of the performance side of things from our high-performance manager down to sports scientists. So they're looking at neuromuscular fatigue and reaction time and so forth. So, yeah. Yeah, so just kind of going back again to I guess getting the mo- getting the most out of the test and narrowing it down, as you're saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess what would you say, kind of wrapping up the general screening part and the monitoring part? What would you say the biggest takeaways um, and main points from uh, that you like with, with your screening and monitoring, and then um, kind of like you were mentioning uh, before the show about your opinion on uh, tech in general? Um, I think. I think do it if it's gonna. You're able to apply it and make a decision with it. Um, don't do it because um, chapter four of this textbook said to do it. Um, if you're gonna make a decision and the decision is gonna actually reflect of what you're doing, then do it. And you don't collect data for the sake of collecting data because um, I think the big catch up period is oh we're gonna make sure we screen all the players so that we're gonna protect them from being injured. Um, Screening doesn't, again, prevent everyone from being injured. Screening is a ho- to highlight, you know, how a player's coping with dosage and prescription. So um, that'd be my biggest takeaway point. Only, I think, you know, it'd be just to do what's going to help make decisions and be practical. And in sport, you don't want to fluff. You want to, you know, get the black and big rocks done and because big rocks matter. Sometimes, you know, we love being fancy and doing the little things because it's cool. Um, if it's not making a decision, not helping you make a decision, then just you know, uh, my advice would be to remove it. Mm-hmm. And then, like I say, that tech-wise, you kind of your opinion on that and expand on um, what? Yeah, how um, you feel about that? <laughs> um, so tech-wise, we, we again we use tech like you know we. I think tech's an interesting one. Um, it's you know whatever Instagram's kind of fatting around at the moment is the tech to go to. Um, so I'm not a massive massive tech user um but in saying that we're in sport we get gifted with a lot of different different stuff so as a physio we know as we've highlighted already the expensive sphig we use um we've got the groin bar we use um we use the dyno um the dyno is probably the gem we use more of we can check our shoulders yeah little hammy strength you know hip, hip strength and so forth so we use our dynos as well 
Um, and then, you know, the Nord board obviously is a big rock in most most um, sporting arenas where, you know, we one, make sure we use that for monitoring to hamstring strength and exposure to hamstring strengthening exercises. Um, and then last, I think, which um, has become a bit of a novelty now, um, and I, I think there is value in it, but I don't know if it's the biggest rock you want to use every time, but it's the force plate. Um, we use it for our knee injuries, your calf and your shoulders. Um, again, half this starter with the shoulder, you can use it with the dyno, so not saying you need to go, need to go get a force plate, but they're, they're the big five we, I think, we use. Um, yeah, so um, I think, yes, that gives us a lot of practical data, data to help make decisions. I don't think that ever stops someone from playing. I think all it does is just it ammos us up to a clinical reason why guys should play and shouldn't play or what more they need in that rehab or what more we can change and make them better. So, yeah. I guess moving into kind of decisions and getting athletes back, holding athletes out, um, maybe just, and I know this is again a really general question, but kind of expand on your thoughts and experiences within the pressure of getting athletes back as quickly and as safely as possible within sport, as well as again, having that conversation of holding them back, um, how you deal with it, um, what your advice is for athletes and staff, I guess. Yeah, um, well, I think ultimately, um, again, it's a, it's a long conversation, but I think ultimately you, you deal with what's given to you. Um, you respect the clinical presentation and you progress from there. Um, yes, um, you know, when it comes to um, players, also, you know, the pressure of getting, oh, sorry, let's the pressure from coaches. Yes, you know, the coaches um, are going to put pressures on, pressure on you to get them back quickly because they need their little chess piece and they've got every right to do so because that's their job because they want the best team out there. Um, I think as um, you know, allied health professionals, as physios, SNCs and so forth, thing, our job is to make sure we um, you know, get all the information out on the table um, and give them some estimated timelines. We know you can't go just because it's injury A, the timelines A, B, C, D, the end. Um, it's rehab. You know, it's never a nice little linear line. It's, it's always, there's always ups and downs. And like I said, you respect the clinical presentation. Sometimes things settle quick and go, hey, this is 21-day injury turn into a two-week, like a 14-day. So um, I think it's good to highlight and get the expecta- expectations down on the table um, straight away. Um, and, um, yeah, I think also when it comes to, you know, play, coach the coaching staff going, oh, you know, A, B, C, D, is he ready? Um, we, we need him on the weekend. Um, I think, you know, obviously, you know, there's there's a line where you go, no, they're not medically fit to play, we can't clear them. And you know, or there's a conversation going, oh, I saw blah, blah, training at training today. He looked really good. He's playing on the weekend, isn't he? Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of things we look at, um, you know, that spans from, you know, just... Um, what they've done in rehab so far, are they ready to be out there? Um, what's their training load look like? Have they even been, um, are they just in rehab and just doing straight line stuff? Have they trained with the team yet? Have they, um, are their training loads matching what their position needs to match? Are their training loads matching of what the team is doing? And um, are they exposed to what a back or a midfielder need to do in a game? Um, I think if in, in, in terms of, you know, they're the questions you, you, you need to ask yourself when the coach pressures you. You know, obviously for a long-term injury, the coach is like, oh, yeah, this guy, the ACL, it's been 
the magic number, you know, 52 weeks, 12 months, he's ready to play, right? Um, you know, it's a long-term injury, but they're, they're the big things you need to ask. You know, if he's a backman that's done it, and then you, you tick off going, okay, well, has he done what he needs to do for his position? Um, has he been exposed to what a backman needs to do? Is he doing what the team's doing? Has he been involved at training? Okay, we know, um, and most coaches sometimes forget that, you know, training, doing rehab is one thing, but training with the train, team is actually completely another different thing. So, um you know, um, so they're the things you need to look at. And I think one of the most important ones that probably gets missed with long-term injuries when you're pressured um, to get players back is, um, you know, their exposure to chaos-like scenarios. Um, uh, is your athlete ready to play that 90th minute or, you know, 95th minute in soccer? Or, you you know, play the fourth quarter and just be exposed to pure hell for, you know, the last five minutes? Um, are they resilient? Are they going to be able to get through it? Or 80 minutes, whatever sport you're playing. Um, so I think they're the things you need to dial into. Um, I think... Obviously, your short-term injuries are a bit different. Um, it doesn't go that much in detail, but when a coach is, you know, puts pressure on going, hey, it's, it's just a calf, he'll be back in, he doesn't need to train with the team, he's all good. Same question needs to be asked him, you know, has he ticked off A, B, C, D? Um, and with them, you, you also give, you have the conversation with the coach, hey, you know, you, you lay it out, you know, you know, he might get through 90%, yep, he'll be good. But that's when you, obviously, as your medical, with your you know, medical experience, you go, hey, yep, he's done a soleus strain, and he, yes, if he re tears it, um, yeah, mate, he, he can actually keep playing. So, you know, yes, there's a risk of recurrence, but he'll actually be able to, you know, you might have to change his position and he might be able to tick over the game. He might not be at 100%, but he'll be at 90%. Um, you know, they're the information the coaches want to hear. Um, in contrast to that, is, oh, yes, he's a hamstring injury. Um, this is his third hammy in six months. I'm probably, you know, um, Oh, he was ninety percent, and they're, they're conversations like, "Is he going to last four quarters? Are we setting him up to fail?" And ultimately, when we have those conversations, are we setting him up to fail, and are we setting up the team to fail? Because when you're down a player, you're down. Everyone else takes a load, right? And that's just a never-ending little chess piece. So, um, they're the little two ways conversations you can have with your coach. Um, I think with the player, play um, pressures come from players as well. The two things the players are famous for saying, hey, I actually heal really well. Um, I'll be back in three weeks, not six weeks. Um, or, hey, I need to play this weekend. If I don't play, I don't get a contract next next year. Um, they're the two little big go-tos. But I think, mate, like, that's when you need to put your foot down and um, and not say you'd be a bad cop, but you explain um, the pros and cons. And you go, hey, mate, yeah, you, you might be able to get through 20 minutes of the game, but then you might you know, break down because your rehab's only ticked off A, B, C, D. So I think an education piece comes, um, is is important. And sometimes when you sit the player down and you take them through why things are done and why it's done this way, they, they end up going, okay, I get it. Um, like I'll go back to the hamstring example. Um, you know, if you go, hey, mate, you haven't been having hit these markers or this marker and this marker, you might get to the 90th minute and, oh, sorry, 60th minute and not be able to. And if you do it, you're done. You're not done for a week. You're done for six or seven. Um, and most of the time when they hear timelines of the worst case scenario, which you always give them the worst case scenario, just like you would give with coaches, they go, oh, okay, if I rest out this week, I'm back a week after and I'll be okay. If I rush this week, I potentially could be out for X amount of weeks. So um, I think the education piece for the coaches and players are very important, but um, and again, given the percentages, given the worst case scenario, and um, I think like coaches like to hear um, black and white answers, um, not yeah, you'll be okay, because you don't want someone to get to half time and they're not okay because you'll be going home. Yeah, um, I guess so. Like 
those are all obviously really good points. When when a player is on that fine line of you know you're trying to make the decision, like they probably could play, but again, they're not 100. percent What would you say the the biggest considerations you make for that player um, would be when discussing with your coaches, the player, and the other staff? I think Rafizio is the start at the end of the day, so I think our clinical tests have to be tick the box. If you've got a hamstring injury and the guys are not strength markers aren't there, clinical tests are not there, it's pretty black and white. But so I think as physios you tick off your you know, your first box and make sure you all your clinical applications clear. Um and then, you know, you, you go through the other end. But I think the conversation needs to be made and it's done as a team in the within the medical team and the performance team of, you know, what they've done versus what they need to do and if it matches up then yeah, okay, cool, we might be able to play this player at 40%. Um, and, and being, there is, and again, being in AFL or NRL and so forth, there's a luxury of having players play modified game time, which is always part of a good rehab criteria. Um, so, example, you might not play AFL that week, you might play NEFA, which is a second-tier team, and you might play in the back line 30 minutes instead of the... 30 minutes of the game or two quarters of the game, whatever it is, as your criteria to progress. And sometimes coaches like, you know what, I'd rather that him get a win there than next week we can promote him to AFL. Obviously, you don't want to go from playing 60, um, 30 minutes to 120. Um, it has to be a good little progression, but that's where the um, sometimes the till meets is when we compromise and go, okay, cool, he might not be ready for AFL this week, but how about we, um, as an exit criteria or as a progression, we, we play him in NEFL or... Um, you know, second tier team and get him to play in the back line and play two quarters instead of four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so again, so. just kind of that conversation with everyone, I guess, and then deciding what's best for the player and the team. Yeah, and again, all, all these things I'm, I'm mentioning, they're never like physio puts a hand up and this is what's happening. It's, <laughs> yeah. again, very grateful to the environment I'm in. It's always a collective decision, and, and believe it or not, nine years in, we still have these meetings because week to week things change and year to year things change and every year there's a new you know epidemic of an injury or a new way to do something, um, a new way to test player, you know, or even test a player day before the game or test a player in the warm up. So it keeps evolving, mate. So I think it's um, probably the best part about the job. I guess moving on now into kind of what you were mentioning before a lot about the different protocols and and boxes to check on when when bringing players back from injury. What do you have a general framework you guys use when trying to establish these different protocols specific um, that are specific to certain injuries, or how do you go about developing um, again not necessarily one specific, but just when you generally look at these, what are your main um, points to look at? Yeah, I, th- I think it's just a global overall thing with any injury. I think it's um, I don't have a protocol. We'd go more with criteria. Um, and we have a progression. Mm-hmm. So, and again, you can name your prog- um, your, your criteria, your stages, or whatever they are in terms of strength. You know, there's always that you know protection phase um, where you know you make sure the healing, all the little um, physio one on one stuff are done. But that progresses onto the strength phase. You're developing your strength and so forth, and that you know transitions to you know what they need to what the team's doing. But I think. Um, of course, every injury has a different protocol or criteria we follow um, in terms of strength. So, example, for your hamstrings, um, we obviously make sure they're walking, walking pain-free. They can do a 30-degree Nordboard isometric 
that's within 20% of their norm before they run. Again, it's a 30-degree isometric, not a Nordic. Um, so, um, again, it's not as a not a vigorous test as a Nordic. So we do that, and obviously your clinical assessments have to be clear, and that kind of gives us criteria. Okay, cool. They've got clinical um, assessment of pain-free, able to, on the plinth, be able to assess with this and this and this and able to give us a good strength measure within, you know, 20% cent, um, 20 percent of the other affected side, unaffected side, they're able to start some linear-based low-load low running. Um, and obviously, as that progresses, our, our criteria progresses as well, um, you know, then we'll jump all the way to the end stage and that's when, you know, all the nitty-gritty stuff come in and, you know, are they exposed to 90%? And this is a criteria for them to obviously play or, or be exposed to game day stuff. So, the you know, Nordic numbers... Um, performing the gym under fatigue are within a you know a percentage limit that we'd like it to be. Um, they they've hit ninety percent um, of high speed versus what they normally do um, at and, and not once but under fatigue as well. So they're able to play the full game um, in terms of um, um, clinical assessment. You know by now they should be pain free. Um, and then in, ter- in terms of, you know, gym or strength, um, they're exposed to, you know, for being hamstring, distal and proximal hamstring strength, um, you know, and obviously a high force or high force stuff. So um, they're the little criteria. It's not really a gutted down criteria, but that, that gives you an idea of how, you know, hamstring is progressed. Um, knees and, um, you know, ankles are a bit different, you know, different tests, different things. So, but I think the big four is, you know, um, in terms of your running, you know, your criteria goes from your linear to change of direction to planned change of direction to um, unplanned or reactive change of direction to some chaos-like training. So they're the little blocks we have, we follow, but I wouldn't say there's a strict black and white protocol. Um, things change, mate. Um, so, like, uh, you know, your Cinder's protocols, you know, if you follow a protocol, a surgeon says it takes about 14 weeks to get an athlete back, we somehow got an athlete back pain-free playing with no recurrence at six weeks. So yep. it's just a day-to-day progression. So I think, um, and again, you, you, you test, being in sport, you test the boundaries and within and within a safe limit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Yeah, definitely. So like the criteria, obviously everyone's different. So that's why I'm using that. And, and you kind of have the blocks of, you know, the, the initial healing phase and working on the, the initial stuff, getting strength and then making sure when they do get that you integrate some tech in there and then you go into the more if they're able to tolerate training and the more of the chaos yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Like I think the four four phases we use the giants mate like just um is you know phase one you'd call it protection phase, stave phase two, strength accumulation, phase three integration, um phase four full training, you know. Yeah. They're the little colour you can put it whatever colour you want, whatever name you want, you know. Mm-hmm. Again it's it's you know, what you can call it whatever you like, but that's the kind of four phase in terms of strength we follow, um, or in that little timeline pattern, and that will dictate what exercises they're doing. So, example, if it's an ankle in phase one, that'd be just you know gentle range of motion, balance appropriate work, and just getting the swelling and getting your knee to wall up. And phase two, you, you load introduction comes in. Sorry, so yeah, phase two load introduction comes in, and that's when they're actually loading the calves and doing some running mechanics or, or getting in the pool and um, squatting and, you know, getting that range of motion up. And then phase three, your strength accumulation phase, um, they're in the gym, they're squatting, they're deadlifting, they're cleaning, whatever they need to clean. And again, um, 
it's it's all blended in with, with the, what the strength of coaches what strength coaches want what we want it's put together as the you know one round program and then phase four comes in there you got integration phase or your full training phase right so they're lifting what rehab components they need but they're also doing what the main team's doing so ultimately when they finish up they come back as a better athlete they've done a bit of it you know they rehab the athlete and um, rehab the ankle or the body part there is but they're also doing what the main squad's doing so they transition in perfectly um worst thing you want to do is not tick those big rocks of what the team's doing is they get in and they're like oh, oh i'm doing rdl now i haven't done rdl in ages mm-hmm. you know and that's when the gaps open up or that's when as um, sensitive as some athletes are they're like oh i'm doms from my rdls can't run <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah i mean making sure that you know they're still not just working on the injury but still bettering themselves overall uh yeah 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 so when you kind of have these different criteria I guess, how do you assess and determine when you're going to either update the criteria or make changes within it? Is there anything specific or any, I guess, examples recently that you guys have kind of done? Yeah, things, oh, mate, things have evolved. Like, like, like I said, with, you know, screening, things have evolved. Criteria's always changed. Um, an example, I think... I think, I think a good example would be, you know, there used to be set guidelines on when to run people and so forth. But I think, this example, your ankle, you know, there used to be this paradigm on, of, um, you know, as soon as the needle walls at X amount, you can run them. But, you know, over the time we've found that, you know, letting the ankle settle early on and give them a good seven days or 10 days, whatever it takes to get the swelling down and need a wall up and get the basic strength foundations in place, then running them actually sets them up to win where um, commonly, you know, that, that's evolved a bit. I think, you know, early days, not just us, but I think, you know, guys would be like, oh, need a wall's here. They can do 15 calf raises. Ankle's still a bit puffy, but that's all right. And then you get them going and they come into week three into their rehab and they're like, oh, the f- my ankle stiffens up, it's sore, it aches, and then you just have to, you know, pull the keys out of the car and then shut them down and start again. So I think criteria still has evolved, and I think criteria has evolved purely because our clinical experience is getting better and we're seeing a lot of it, and that's how these criteria all have come in play ultimately. Um, so, yeah, I think that's how criteria are definitely involved. Um, also, criteria evolved because all these new gadgets and tools are out here, mate. So, um, you know, like the force plates come in and, you know, oh, no, he can't play because he hasn't done a counter movement jump or he hasn't done a drop jump on the force plate. Can't play. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but it, 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 that never happens. But I'm just saying that it's definitely added to our progression. So calves, you know, like, you know, we want to see, you know, guys do um, peak force or you know, all their testing on the force plate. Um, with shoulders, you know, it's gone from dinos to doing your um, ash test on the force plate. So that's how your, your criteria have changed. And it's one, because of clinical application or cl- clinical experience. And two, because we've got more tools to use, um, help make our decision now. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely evolving and um, timelines sometimes are getting shorter. Mm-hmm. with things because we've got the t- tools ready or we've got the experience tools one or we've got the experience too that's telling us hey it's okay to push you or it's actually not okay to push you let's just hold this ankle for 10 days or seven whatever the number is mm-hmm. going hey let's get the swimming out because when we get to you know when they're doing change direction and chaos type training drills they're not going to have a flare-up and or, or we're minimizing the chance of flare-up yeah so the combination of what you're already doing in, in clinical experience and then any new gadgets, I guess, that come out and kind of putting all three of those together to give the best, the athlete the, the newest and best care, I guess. 
Yeah, 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 100%. Awesome. So I guess moving into kind of the last main topic here, integration, you kind of mentioned it and touched on it briefly, but integration of your physiotherapy and your, or the sports medicine and sports performance side, physiotherapy, strength conditioning, whatever you want to call it. I guess kind of how is a general overview, how is that set up at um, GWS and how do you guys work together to get the best out of get the best of performance and uh, sports medicine for your athletes? Yep, Matt. Um, so at the Giants, um, it's a very biased comment. Um, we've, I think we've set it up pretty well. And I think if you ask anyone at the, any club, they've set it up pretty well. <laughs> um, but um, we've, I think we've done it good. We've got, the, we've got you know, great people working. We've got Luke Heath, Cullen Ball, um, Alex Tahira, Simon Harris, Brad Newton, Nick Poulos as, uh, collectively as a team. Um, what we do is we, um, how it works really well is in the rehab scene, we, we've, um, we have rehab meetings. Um, so once a week we'll sit down and go, okay, cool. What Patrick, what Patrick would, okay. He's at an ankle. All right, sweet. What's his gym program look like? What's his running plan look like? Not for the next seven days, but what will it look like? Mm -hmm. And again, things change, but it's all just a plan. So it's a four week injury. Okay. What does the next four weeks look like and how are we going to get them back and how many times they're running? And it's not just done what the physio says and the doctor says it's collectively done. So it could be the S and C just stepping in. Hey mate. So, He's had a six-month injury. Injury is an opportunity here. So he's weak at A, B, C, D. So if you've got six months, um, let, let's expose him to what he needs to be exposed, but I want him to get him strong, bicep killing, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is. Um, and, you know, that's when we all um, ultimately come together and um, help the athlete out. Um, but at the Giants, we have a rehab meeting once a week um, where we obviously go through all that. Um, we go through and we also link up with the coaches and go, okay, cool, this athlete's um, in the end stage. What kind of football-like drills you'd got, wanted to be exposed to? And that's also blended into the rehab. So, you know, sometimes the junk running comes down and the more of the running comes in and the exciting part was when they actually go do football-like training and that's their running load. That's their, you know, competencies being ticked off. Um and um, yeah, so it's all done collective like that. I think we do it really well. Um, the communica communication lines are pretty open because all the physios and um, we all sit down, roundtable conversation, and um, sometimes people don't agree, sometimes people agree. Um, and it's good because every year, like I said, um, new things pop up and there's new ways of doing things. And it's always evolving. So, so just the, the open communication across the two professions. And then I guess there's always that, talk about that gray area in between the two of who's kind of taking over who's in the lead so how do you guys kind of navigate that space or is it just pretty much whoever's there and you guys are on the same page so it's not really um gray um, area yeah uh, there, there is yeah you're right um um we i couldn't say firsthand we've had like issues with it um, i'm sure like there has been conversation going no this is our round we deal with it um it's pretty good where we are um it's really good actually we, we do it really well um of course the end stage stuff that's when the performance staff come in and they're like hey you know this guy it's pre-season he needs to be hitting close to 35 k's a week because that's what the main squad's doing and they need to be hitting this x amount of meters of high speed blah blah and that obviously you know when they get to the end stage we kind of transition them going you know what you've done your competence in terms of change of direction reactive staff contact 
go see the performance guys and you got your volume-based running and they'll prescribe that to help condition you because as, let's be honest as physios that's not our expertise so um that's when we do that work that really well um i think early days we kind of look after them in terms of what competencies they need um but yeah we, mate we, we blend in pretty well i think we do it really well um and most clubs do it to be honest i think everyone does it really well i don't think there's a lot of issues most places so but in the end mates i think communication is key um if you can't get that down pat it's always going to be a bit of a someone's going to rub you up the wrong way or so forth but if you just highlight and everyone knows and there's expectations and um, expectations are met with you know this is what we're looking after and honest conversations are had i think it's pretty smooth yeah yeah well thank you very much for the the episode and the overview of gbbs and your experiences and how the club is going being run I guess if you just want to kind of shout out, I know you have um, an Instagram. If you have any other accounts that uh, you want anyone to follow or that you share information on, if you want to shout that out now, and then I can put that in the show notes um, as well. Yeah, um, well, I've got a little um, physio page, which is um, slowly building up. So it's the athlete underscore physio. Um, follow me there. Um, I'm hope- hopefully, you know, this year I've been a bit lazy on it, and again, I'll blame COVID for it. But um, I'll get some content out. Um, but if anyone's got any questions or want to know about stuff, shoot me a message. Happy to help. Um, go from there. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you very much again, Nice, for being on. Really appreciate it. Thanks, mate. Uh, thank you. Thank you for listening to No Week Links. If you'd enjoy the show and would be able to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that would be much appreciated as it would help the show reach more people. I also provide free strength and conditioning content and injury rehabilitation content on Instagram at Coach Patrick Wood, on my website, www.patrick-wood.com. All this information can be found in the show notes. Thanks for listening.